0: So, Jesus Christ. I mean, where would we be without Him? I've said that before. Thank you, Stephen, for the music, aligning our hearts with the truth of the gospel before we, before we hear the word. I've heard that it's important that we, on a daily basis, we ourselves preach the gospel to ourselves, because we live in this world where um, the enemy is lying, and Jesus Christ is, as as it's been said, a The truth-teller in a world of lies. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves. I want to just look at some elements, aspects, I suppose, of the gospel. But let's pray first. Jesus, we are um, thankful that we can address you. We're thankful that one day we'll be able to stand right before you and, and see you in all of your glory without perishing and we're thankful for your word and I personally need the enabling of your Holy Spirit to say the truth may it bless our hearts and encourage us Lord there may be areas in our hearts that are in need of restoration areas of our lives that are in need of restoration we live in an incredibly broken world Nothing things as it should be. And so we ask you for those things, and we thank you that you will give us exactly what we need. Please keep from us anything that's unprofitable tonight, but only those things that would glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as I was saying, I want to look at uh, two men in the Bible, um, just briefly, David and Peter. Um, and good news for you, I have to be somewhere. So I feel like one of those visiting pastors, like, i got to catch a plane, and, you know, they're like great speakers, and I, yeah, so you'll be thankful that I have to go somewhere. Perhaps. David and Peter. Um, so I'm going to read Psalm 103 and Psalm, uh, later on, four other passages, three other passages. Psalm 32. Psalm um, 32. Mark, I think it's chapter 10. I'll let you know, but there will be a passage in Mark. Um, oh, actually, 14. Okay. Um, so, God heals broken lives. I'm going to call this a title. I don't know if it sounds like maybe titles are important. God heals broken lives. Repentance is required. It's needed for sure. It's required. Restoration is promised. Um, Wait. Can't even turn it off, John. Where are you? Um, So, Psalm 103. Starting... In verse 8, it says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide. I think the New King James says, will not always strive with us, nor will He keep His anger forever, nor does He uh, deal with us according to our sins, praise the Lord, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth... So great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. So no doubt, next to Moses, Abraham perhaps, there's probably no Greater hero in the Old Testament than David. Um, He's the one that God said is a man after my own heart. He's the sweet psalmist of Israel. He was a devoted friend, a faithful and beloved king. The people sang of him Saul has slain his thousands. And David, his 10,000s, that song that provoked Saul incredible jealousy. He was a giant killer. And by the way, giant killer Christians breed giant killer Christians. Find them. Weak sauce Christians breed weak sauce Christians. Don't be that. He, he knew even at a very young age that his successes were attributable only to God. Before he went and slew Goliath, he remembered, it was the Lord you know, that gave me great success against those beasts. It, and it was this understanding that David had that grew immensely as he grew old. But he would have also eventually learned his failures were attributable only to himself. This is kind of where we're... Heading David would be revealed by the word of the prophet Nathan as the man. What man? Well, the guilty man. Nathan, the prophet, he had come to David. He had told him a parable, if you will. Um, it's not a complicated parable. Um, but it rather clearly indicates the guilt of David, uh, which David has uh a little trouble catching on to. Um, and then Nathan flatly tells David that the guilty party in the story is David. It, it's a moment of great pause. It's a moment that would fit perfectly in a motionless, um, like a really s- still scene in a movie, silent, motionless. You're the man. And he realizes he's the man. I'm talking about his sin in Second um, Samuel 11, his sin of adultery with Bathsheba. Nathan comes to him. This is the condition of man, guilty. Before a holy and just God we stand, utterly condemned because of sin, all of us. There's only one category of people in the world, sinners. Sinners. And there's only two categories forgiven and condemned. I know it's funny, I said there's one category and there's two categories, but there's forgiven and condemned. Have you become aware of such guilt in your life? I have. There was a moment when I was 17 when it was revealed this is bad. And I was actually at, at Applegate and I was baptized by by John Corson I don't remember a whole lot about that day but I knew that I needed what Jesus was giving me in the moment because I went under and he brought me up and he said all I remember is he said your sins are forgiven he wasn't forgiving my sins Jesus was he was telling me that and that was incredible for me are you trying to paint over the darkness of your sin with light colors It doesn't work, right? So the man, after God's own heart, he committed adultery, he deceived, he murdered to cover up his sin of adultery. As I mentioned, 2 Samuel 11. But oh, how the sweet psalmist of Israel would come to communicate by inspiration of the Holy Spirit the work of God in his life. Throughout the Psalms, the graceful, merciful, compassionate, loving, holy nature of God, the restorer of all things broken, such important and satisfying food for our souls. Are you broken? Are you fading under the weight of self-sufficiency, control? Are you fading under the weight of sin? Or is the day of adversity threatening your senses of um, hearing or sight or even mobility, threatening your ability to function? Can you feel it in your bones? Well, repentance is required. This was one of the first psalms that I committed to memory. And I love it because it's, it's David saying these things regarding his sin. And it says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Check this out. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. You want to notice that. You really want to notice this. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. There's nothing in between. That's great news. So what glory, you know, we can lavish upon God for his restorative work in the life of this man, David. Well... Um, transitioning to Peter. Um, He he is absolutely one man that we probably all could be incredibly encouraged by for this one reason. When you look at his life, when you look at the life of Peter, Jesus Christ gets all the glory. And I just want to highlight one thing in the life of Peter. And this one thing in his life paints for us A tragic picture of a costly vessel shattered, shattered. This one thing, as we look at it, places us in the uncomfortable position of imagining ourselves in his shoes. What if that were me? That's been me. And this one thing is his denial of Jesus. It's recorded in all four Gospels. Um, and I think that it's perhaps the one thing in his life that coupled with the restoration of, uh, from, of Peter to his Lord, it makes me just love the redeeming and restoring grace of Jesus so much. Like I said, it's recorded in all four Gospels. And um, so when you see something that's repeated, you, I mean, in the Bible, you want to pay attention to that? I mean, this is it's repeated four times. Um. Now, Jesus said, "There's only one thing that a person will not be forgiven for," and I, th- I think most of us know know, know this. It's a, found in Matthew twelve thirty one. It's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. This is the lifelong denial of His grace and kindness toward us. The lifelong denial of uh, and continual denial of him. Um, and I believe that's what he's, he's calling the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So if today you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. Do not harden your hearts, if you hear his voice. This is from um, Psalm 95, verses 7 and 8, and it's repeated actually three times by the writer in Hebrews 3 and 4. And just as an aside not hardening your heart, when the word of God is brought to bear on your heart, um, the, the pride of man is deadly. I think we've all seen it, when the word of God it goes out, it goes out powerfully. And yet it's like, well, whatever, next thing. But God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And and I think Peter's denial of Jesus is a rough bit of road for us. Um, You want to turn there. Mark 14. Mark 14. And I like the account in Mark's gospel for one reason, one specific reason, you'll find out. And it's in verse 66. And it says, As Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And when he went out into the gateway, and uh, the, roos- the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders uh, again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear. He began to invoke a curse on himself and swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Jesus had told him that he would do this. It's a little bit before a, couple, a page. And he broke down and wept. So try to imagine the scene. Peter had been with Jesus. For about three years, witnessing the miraculous, observing the compassion, living the life of a disciple of the embodiment of light, living the life of a disciple of the embodiment of life, the embodiment of love, seeing the very eye of Jesus contact the lame that he was healing looking at them. He saw the crowds and he had compassion on them because they were harassed like sheep without a shepherd. Peter saw these things in Jesus. He didn't just see the things that he did. He was with them for three years. He, he saw how he was. Peter would remember standing on the surface of the sea with Jesus, Right? standing on the surface of the sea. I can't imagine that (laughs) at all. And now Peter broke down and wept. Think of it. The continual denial of Jesus, which should it continue on through the final heartbeat of man, ends in the soul's disposition into the lake of fire, eternally separated from God. Peter's denial of Jesus broke him, brought him to tears, and I would say they weren't tears that sunglasses would hide. I was crying. I, I, I doesn't take much to get me to cry. <laughs> and we were at a wedding. We were at a wedding this last weekend, and I watched the bride and the groom, do, uh, after the, the vows were exchanged, do communion together. And they played a song. I don't remember the name of the song. You've played it, Everest. It's, uh, it's, the Bene- it's the benediction song, but it has a different, uh, the Lord bless you and keep, whatever. My goodness. I mean, I, and I, I was like, the tears were just dripping like a, a fu- and then I started to convulse a little bit. And you know when your body starts to move when you're crying, you're, you're moved. I think Peter's beyond that kind of weeping. I think he's, he, he's totally broken. Think of Peter rising from the sea, holding the hand of Jesus. He belonged to Jesus, and he would not perish in the depths of the sea. You know, Satan wanted to sift Peter. Remember, Jesus told him that. He's trying to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you. I've prayed for you. Peter's advocate, Jesus, would not allow it. And tonight, Jesus is advocating on behalf of you to the Father And if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. He's revealing who he is to you because he loves you. He wants to restore you to himself because sin has separated you from him. It's interesting that the last words that we read of Peter in the Bible are these. Think of these words. 2 Peter 3.18. You definitely want to have this verse highlighted in your Bible. It says, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Growing grace. Why would Peter say that? Because he required <laughs> a lot of grace. He knew Jesus really well. And Jesus said, you'll, you'll deny me. And he did. There's a verse that says, um, uh, If anyone thinks that he stands, let him take heed lest you fall. Listen to this quote from um, Alistair Begg. He says, you will never know who you are, why you're here, or what you're doing in this world until you gaze into the face of God as revealed in the person of Jesus Christ and acknowledge him to be who he is. Another one of my favorite verses, verses, easy to remember where it is, if you can remember 2, 4, 6. It's in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. And I love this verse because it says, for God who commanded light to shine out of the darkness. He, he just commanded light to shine out of the darkness. It says, for God who commanded light to shine out of the darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Until you gaze into the face of God, revealed in the person of Jesus, and acknowledge him to be who he is. I, lo- I love that quote. And I want to finish with an illustration. I just breathed a sigh of relief. I had no idea how long um, I would need. Um, illustration from Jeremiah 18. And in Jeremiah 18, verse 1, it says, The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. And so I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel. As it seemed good to the potter to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord? Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom, that I will build and plant it. And if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I had intended to do to it. Now, therefore, say to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I'm shaping, I'm shaping disaster against you and devising a plan against you. Return everyone from his evil way and amend your ways and your deeds. But they say, that is in vain. They say, that is in vain. We will follow our own plans and will everyone act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart. Flat-out rebellion. I want you to bear with... Okay. I really want you to bear with this um, little commentary on this Jeremiah 18 because I've read it several times over the years and I really appreciate the insight. This guy's name is F.B. Meyer. He says, One day... Beneath the impulse of the divine spirit, Jeremiah went beyond the city precincts to the valley of Hinnom, on the outskirts of Jerusalem, where, in a little hut, he found a potter busily engaged at his handicraft. Behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. Amid the many improvements of the present day, the art of pottery remains almost as it was as many centuries before Christ as we live after. As the prophet stood quietly beside the potter, he saw him take a piece of clay from the mass that lay beside his hand and, having kneaded it to rid it of the bubbles, placed it on the wheel, rapidly revolving horizontally at the motion of his foot driving the treadle. From that moment, his hands were at work within and without, shaping the vessel with his deft touch, here widening, there leading it up into a more slender form, and again, opening out the lip. So that from the shapeless clay, there emerged a fair and beautiful vessel fit for the temple court or the royal palace. When it was, when it was nearly complete, and the next step would have been to remove it, to await the kiln, through a flaw in the material, it fell a shapeless ruin, some broken pieces upon the wheel and others upon the floor of the house. The prophet naturally expected that the potter would immediately take another piece of clay and produce in its yielding substance the ideal which had been so hopelessly marred under his hand. Instead of this, however, to his astonishment and keenly excited interest, the potter, with scrupulous care, gathered up the broken pieces of clay and pressed them together as at the first and placed the clay again where it had been laid before and made it again into another vessel as seemed good to the potter to make it. Perhaps the second vessel was not quite so fair as the first might have been. Still, it was beautiful and useful. It was a memorial to the potter's patience and long-suffering of his careful use of material and his power of repairing loss and making something out of failure and disappointment. O vision of the long-suffering patience of God! O bright anticipation of God's redemptive work! O parable of remade characters and lives and hopes! To us... As to Jeremiah, the divine thought is flashed. Can I not do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. The purport of this vision seems to have been to give his people hope that even though they had marred God's ideal, yet a glorious and blessed future was within reach, and that if only they would yield themselves to the touch, of the great potter, he would undo the results of years of disobedience, which had marred and spoiled his fair purpose, and would make the chosen people a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. David said, uh, I confess my transgressions to the Lord, and he forgave the iniquity of my sin. It's simple. Are you broken? Are there areas of your life that are broken? Does the day of adversity have your heart, quote, on the ropes? Are you, feel, are you fading under the weight of self-sufficiency, control? under the weight of sin maybe, God heals broken lives. Re- re- repentance is needed. Restoration is promised. We have been given so much in Jesus Christ. You know, God's word is it's, it's just replete with his great and precious promises. And we, we, we want to make sure that we are building our lives on every promise that's in his word. We can count on them. Absolutely and completely.